Acts 1 and verse 8. And this is a red letter, so this is Jesus speaking. And he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me, notice, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But Jesus said to his disciples, wait for the Holy Spirit, because when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Amen? So, uh, title of my message once again is, this is how we change the world. But I guess you could put part two on it because we did part one last week. So we're going to be continuing our series. This is how we change the world. This is how we change the world. Are you guys excited for tonight? As we get going here, I I want to do just a short little recap of what we talked about last week. Because if I don't uh, go over some of what we talked last week, you're not going to get what I'm going to say this week. Especially for those who maybe weren't here last week. Uh, we started out talking about changing the world. And the first thing that we established last week is the world is in need of change. That's, that's step one. That's uh, the ground level that uh, there's a problem in the world. The world knows that there's a problem. The world tries to fix its problems, but is incapable of fixing it. And that's a, at least a good, it's a good step to be knowing that you have a problem and you have an issue that needs to be fixed. At least the world will admit we got a problem. And so the thing is, this world is in need of change, and it's in need of desperate change more than any other generation before. Now, every generation has needed change, but the generations, as you can tell, they're not getting better. They're getting worse in the world. Not in the church, but in the world. And we are in need of change. And we talked about all the different things that people trust in to change, like politics, like music, like the economy. Like the polar bears, like recycling, all this stuff that everybody tells you, this is what you need to do, this is what's going to change the world. Give your life for saving the environment, but forget about people. And all these things don't change the world. They might help you breathe a little bit cleaner oxygen, but they don't change the world. There might be a few more antelope in Africa because you saved them, but it's not changing people's life. And we, we, we established this last week. The only way to really change the world is to change people's hearts. And the only person capable of changing people's hearts is God. The only person. Your parents aren't able to. A pastor's not able to. A, a priest you found in Judea is not able to. A monk from a monastery is not able to. The Dalai Lama and all the rest of the Hindu and Buddhist gods are not able to change you. Your parents can't change you. Your boyfriend or girlfriend can't change you. The only person capable of changing you is God. And the only reason he is is the only one that can change you is because he has to change your heart. And nobody can change your heart but God. You know, you can't even change your heart. That's why you were in need of a Savior. Because you can't change yourself. That's why Jesus had to come so he could give us a new heart. And new desires. So God's the only person that can change us and can change the world. We establish that. But 
we read this a second ago in Matthew 28, and it's also uh, in Mark 16 at the end. He, Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples. I want you to go into all the world and baptize people. I want you to go into all the world and teach them what I've taught you. I want you to go into all the world and preach the good news, the gospel. I want you to go into all the world and change it. That's what Jesus told his disciples before he left. You ever thought about this? When somebody's about to leave or they're about to die, even though Jesus didn't die, but he ascended to heaven after he said this. So he was leaving. If, some, if it was the last time somebody knew they were going to talk to you, they're not going to be talking about Xbox and their beanie babies. They're not going to be talking about a random thing that happened to them the other day. They're going to be talking about something that's important to them. They're not going to just throw their words around knowing that this is the last time we're going to see each other. No, Jesus is going to say the most important things he's ever said to his disciples before he leaves. And notice what he says. He said, I want you to go. I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. I want you to go to all the world and change the world. Because he wasn't satisfied with just having a bunch of people in Jerusalem and Israel that knew him as Savior. Because the gospel is not just for Israel. The gospel is not just for Africa or Europe or America. The gospel is for the world. And Jesus didn't come to just save a small people group in the Middle East. Jesus came to save the world. Now he used those people in the Middle East to start this wonderful thing as we know as the church. But that was just the starting place. And he said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Spread this to every people group. Spread this to every nation. Not just you and your friends here in the Middle East. He said, I want you to go into all the world. Because Jesus is not just consumed with just a state or a country or a continent. He's consumed with the world. With saving the world. Is anybody getting anything so far tonight? But Jesus gave gave the disciples, it's called the Great Commission. We talked about this last week. Not the great suggestion, the great commission. Not you can take it or leave it. You know, it's no big deal. If you're going to be a disciple, you know, you really don't have to do this. You know, I realize some people are just called to sit on their butts for the rest of their life in church and take up space. No, Jesus didn't say that. He told all his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's known as the Great Commission. We also know this. We said this last week. That the church, apart from the Holy Spirit, is incapable of doing what Jesus has called the church to do. Period. And see, that's the thing. When Jesus said this to his disciples... You realize what kind of responsibility and how big a deal that is if Jesus is going to say, I want you to go into all the world and make disciples? Just by yourself, that's overwhelming. But notice Jesus didn't stop there. He said, I want you to go into all the world, but you got to wait in Jerusalem because I'm sending another to help you do everything I've called you to do. To enable you and empower you as the church to fulfill the Great Commission. And you can't do it without the Holy Spirit. That's why he said, you got to go to the upper room until I send another to help you. Because you can't save nobody, you can't change nobody without the Holy Spirit. 
And notice it. They waited 50 days for the Holy Spirit to come. And notice as soon as the Holy Spirit came, guess what they did? They unlocked the door in the upper room and they went out and they went. As soon as the Holy Spirit came on them, they didn't wait one more second in the upper room. They went because why? The Holy Spirit is empowering them to do what Jesus has commanded them to do. So you've got to realize this. This is not just us trying to change the world by ourselves because it's impossible to do. But we got one on the inside of us that is our helper, that is our standby, that is our empower, and it's the Holy Spirit. And he's, he empowers each of you in here to change your world. If you just let him. You know, by the time of Acts, 6, or Acts 16 and 17... Uh, they were talking about the disciples, and they said, these men have turned the world upside down. That pretty much means these, wor- these men right here, these men and women of God, these early disciples already, we're just talking like 20, 30 years into the early church. These men and women of God had already turned the known world upside down for God. They had set everybody on fire in that whole region for Jesus. Already. We're talking just 20, 30 years into uh, the early church after the Holy Spirit came upon them. It's no different 2,000 years later. There's so many churches making excuses why we can't reach people, making excuses why we can't reach our cities, making excuses why we can't reach our, uh, our nation, we, making excuses why we, you can't reach your school or your coworkers or your neighbors. But how many know the early church didn't have any excuses like that? If you read your Bible in the New Testament, they were changing cities, changing nations, changing regions for Jesus. And if God did it back then, he can do it now. It's the same Holy Spirit that, that we got that they had 2,000 years ago. There's no difference. The only difference is they had enough faith to believe that God could do it. They had enough faith to have enough boldness to go into their world and preach the gospel. They had enough faith to say, you know what, Holy Spirit, you're going to help me be a witness everywhere I go, everything I do, and everything I say to one, uh, somebody who needs you. You're my helper everywhere I go. And Holy Spirit, the primary purpose for you coming upon me is not so I can pray in tongues. It's not so I can fall out in the Holy Ghost. It's so I can be a witness. That's the primary purpose. And we appreciate all the, all the rest. We appreciate the gifts of the Spirit. We appreciate you being able to speak in tongues. I speak in tongues a lot. But the primary purpose for the Holy Spirit is so you can be a witness on this earth for Jesus. That's the number one purpose. It's the number one purpose. You know, we don't need to let this overwhelm us, but we've got to realize the magnitude of the people that need to be reached. Okay, just because we live in southern Indiana, which is the Bible Belt, <laughs> and most people we talk to already go to a church, you got to realize there's 7 billion people on this planet. And only 2 billion, which that's a high estimate, know Jesus. So that means there's over uh, almost 5 billion-something people that don't know Jesus. There's a great work to be done. There's a great amount of people that still need to be reached. We're just getting started. For the people saying, you know, Jesus is going to come back in 2012. You know, everybody's saying 2012, doomsday. You know, the Mayan Indians said it, and this monk in in France said it hundreds of years ago, and -and so-and-so said it. Guess what? Jesus is not coming back in 2012. 
Okay, if he does, I'm sorry. I'll apologize to you when we get to heaven. But Jesus is not going to come back when there's still five billion people that still don't know him. He won't do it. It says he's not going to come back to the gospel is preached in all the world. He's not going to come back until that point to the good news of the gospel has reached every person. And he's given every person at least a chance to get saved. He's not coming back till then. So we got, we got a ways to go here, church. I'm going to go over the two things I said last week if you want to be a world changer because that's going to set us up for tonight with what we're going to talk about. If you didn't write this down last week, you should write it down this week. I said, number one, if you want to be somebody who changes your world, you've got to be the change you want to see. You have to be the change you want to see. We can't be complaining about unbelievers not changing when we're not changing when the Holy Spirit deals with us. Hello, somebody. We as believers, if we want to change our world, guess where it starts? Us first. If we want to change the world, it starts with us first, in our heart first, and we have to let God change us first before we can change anybody else. Because there's so many people that want to change the world, but they're not willing to deal with themselves. There's a lot of people pointing out everybody else, you know, you need to change, and that, man, you're addicted to that, and you do this and that, and they want you to change and other people to change, but they're not willing to change. Those people will never change anybody until they deal with themselves first. So if we want to change the world, we got to be the change we want to see. I said this last week, but change people, change others. Unchanged people do not change others. People that have allowed God to change them are in turn going to be able to change others by his power. You got you to gotta understand this, that you don't change so God will love you. Do you hear me tonight? Religion says, I need to change this, 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 and this so God will love me. No, this is not a change so God will love you. It's God's love that changes you. Now, that's the difference. Because a lot of people are trying to change the world to try to please somebody or try to make them acceptable before God. But you don't change so God will love you. God's love is the only thing that can change you. When you look at his unconditional and amazing love, that's what changes you. And number two is you got to be available. You got to be available. If you want to change the world, you got to be available. We talked about this the other week. The early church, the disciples, the people that Jesus used, it wasn't because they were the most spectacular, good-looking, talented, awesome people. It's because they were available. See, a lot of us think that's who God uses. He only uses the talented, the good-looking, the super-athletic, the just awesome people. Not necessarily. He uses people that are available. He's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. And if you say, hey, God, I want to be used, I'm available, he'll give you the ability to do what he's called you to do. So number two, if you want to change the world, you need to be available. Amen? All right. Well, let's, after I recap that, let's, let's get into some of the things that I want to talk about tonight. Let's read in, in Acts 1 and verse 8. 
I'm excited that you guys are here tonight. Acts 1.8. It says, Jesus speaking, when the Holy Spirit's going to come on you as a believer, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be a witness to me. Notice, in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be a witness. In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. There's a reason why I'm reading that. And we're going to talk about that in a second here. You know, we talk about changing the world. We, we did last week, and I just recap what we went over last week. But a lot of us, we, we want to change the world. We, we realize that, but we don't know where to start. We don't know where to start. And, you know, I, I love it that Jesus just he calls it out for his disciples and tells them where to start. In Acts 1.8, he says, I want you to start in Jerusalem. Then go to Judea, then Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. So the thing is, I feel like a lot of you, you, you guys want to be world changers, but we need to get real practical about this. A lot of things I'm going to say tonight are going to be super practical, but are going to help you. It's no point in people preaching really like super spiritual messages and you don't even know what they're talking about. And you're saying, how's it going to help me on Tuesday afternoon? How's it going to help me on Wednesday night? It's usually not. And we got to realize, you know, God is a lot more practical sometimes than we think he is. And Jesus said, hello, disciples, I'll tell you where to start. I'm not going to just say go change the world and you don't know where to start. He goes, start in Jerusalem, then go to Judea, then go to Samaria, then go to the, uh, the ends of the earth after that. So number one, to get real practical, where do we need to start if we want to be a world changer? The, number one, I put down here, the question you got to ask yourself, what is your Jerusalem? What is your Jerusalem? What is your Jerusalem? No, I'm not going to blow a shofar. And I realize you don't live in the Middle East, but what is your Jerusalem? You've got to ask yourself, it's, it gets real practical like that. In your life, where is your Jerusalem? For a lot of us, it's southern Indiana. It's this Kentucky in a region, the Louisville, Kentucky, southern Indiana region. That's our Jerusalem. And Jesus said, if you want to be a world changer, start in your Jerusalem. Start where you live. Start where you're called to be, which is right here. New Albany, Indiana, southern Indiana region. That's our Jerusalem. And the thing is, we can never go into all the world until we go into our world. See, so many people, send me to Africa, send me to Asia. I want to lay hands on thousands of Africans, and I want to go lead the Asian church in revival. And you won't even cross your street in Indiana. You won't even walk across the classroom and invite your friend to Corey tonight. He said, go into your world. Now, we'll get to the rest of the world eventually, but you got to go into your world first. If he can't trust you going into your world, he's never going to send you to the nations of the world. If you can't witness to your neighbor, he's not going to send you to Honduras. 
If you can't pray for the sick in the coffee shop, he's not going to send you to Botswana to go lay hands on people. It's not going to happen. Because there's an order in the way he wants to change the world. And he wants everybody in every country, in every nation, to start in their Jerusalem first. You know, all the believers on the planet are not all living at the same location. Each believer has its own Jerusalem. Each believer has its own world that they are called to impact. Don't you realize that's how we change the world as the church? Is that the church globally in their city, in their nation, in their Jerusalem changes it? Guess what? If we're all changing our own Jerusalem, eventually the whole world will be changed. He's not just calling one specific group over here. Hey, you, you go for it and you just change the world by yourself. You know, I don't need to go to Asia. There's already churches in Asia. And they're called to change that world. You know, I don't need to go to Europe tomorrow. There's churches in Europe changing Europe right now. Why? Because that's their Jerusalem. And once they're done changing that, guess what? God's going to send them to another place. But if he can't trust you in your Jerusalem, he's not going to send you anywhere else. I realize this is extremely practical, but sometimes we need to wake up and see that the opportunity is staring at you in the face and you don't see it. And you've got to go on a mission trip to Mexico to see that people need to be reached. Realizing you could be doing this all along, it's called IUS. You could be doing this all along, it's called your job. It's called your neighborhood. That's your world that he has called you to reach. But the reason we don't go there because, oh, it's, you're just used to it. It's comfortable. It, it, it doesn't seem that exciting. Because I go to the same school every day, and I go to the same job, and I live in the same neighborhood. But that is where he's called you to be. We don't see it as spectacular. Send me to another country, and then I'll serve you. And then I'll step out and believe. A lot of times the spectacular is just sometimes in, in just seemingly the insignificant little things at work or at school, and you don't know what God's about to do, but he can't do it unless you step out. So where is your Jerusalem? Because first of all, we've got to be really practical. He wants us to go in our Jerusalem. Go into your world first. And then notice, if you are obedient to change the area or the 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 city or the place where he's called you, it says he's going to enlarge your area of influence. Listen, if, if we're dedicated and sincere about being obedient to God and changing the southern Indiana region and the Louisville area region, guess what? God's going to enlarge our territory. He's going to enlarge our area of influence. But if we don't focus and, and pour everything we have into this region, he's never going to give us anything bigger. He's never going to give you anything bigger. And a lot of us are complaining about we're not promoted, but we're not doing the thing where he's called us to do. And you're saying, you know, I want to reach the hundreds and the thousands and the millions, but you won't talk to your coworker. Real talk. Didn't mean to get into all this real talk, but we, we go in there. 
So we need to go into our world, to our Jerusalem first. That's the order. That's what Jesus said. Red letter. Go to Jerusalem, then Judea, which that's a bigger region, then Samaria, which that's an even bigger region. And then notice he says, and then you can go into all the world. So if we're unwilling to reach our Jerusalem, God will never send us to the ends of the earth. Listen, if we're not willing to, to just live and die for the southern Indiana region being reached by Jesus, he'll never send us anywhere else. He'll never send us anywhere else. And a lot of you guys in here need to stop thinking that there's something better somewhere else. Instead, start serving the city that you're at right now. And start thinking, you know, you know, if I move to this city and this city, you know, man, they got it going on over here. You know, everybody thinks that the grass is greener on the other side, but there's cow patties on the other side. And notice, we're never going to change this region. You always being frustrated where you live. You want to move somewhere else. You always think that there's something better else. You know, if I was living in this city and this city, then, then we could have an awesome ministry. Then we could change the world. It doesn't work like that. God's no respecter of persons. If he can do it in in another city, in another nation, in this planet, he can do it here. So notice, if you are obedient to be in the place that God has called you to be and change it, he's going to enlarge your influence. But until you're obedient to do that, there's nothing to enlarge. So number one, where is your Jerusalem? Real practical. You got to go into your own world first. That's where we're going first. Now let's look over at Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4. You guys get anything here? Ephesians 4. Number two, real practical, it's where does where it start? First of, of all, you need a location where to start, which we just gave you that. It's called where you live, your own backyard. But number two, you've got to realize this, that all of us in here are in the ministry. So my number two point is we are all ministers. If you want to get real practical about changing your world, you got to realize every one of you in here that is born again is a minister. I didn't know if you realized you're in the ministry or not, but you are. When you got into the family of God, you got into the ministry. I know some of you are like, I don't have an ordination card or anything. I haven't even went to Bible college. Well, you got to realize as soon as you get into the family of God, you get in the family business of God. And the family business... Is saving the world. It's changing the world. So you kind of got thrown in there when you got born into this family. I love Jesus said when he was young, he said, I got to be about my father's business. What's the father's business? The father's business is changing the world. The father's business is saving the world. The father's business is changing everyone on the planet from all the way back 2,000 years ago to how many ever years until Jesus comes back, he's in to changing the world. And so you got automatically thrown in that business. I don't know if you realize that. And you have been called, as soon as you got in this family, you have been called to a mission. 
everything you do in this life is not, I'm just twiddling my thumbs. You know, I just go to this job. I go to, go to work. I go to school. This is what I do. You got to realize there's a greater purpose than those things. There is a soul. So if you treated it like that, you'd wake up excited to live. Realizing that you going to school, you going to work, you going to your neighborhood is so much bigger than just what it seems from the appearance of things. You got to realize you've been called on mission to your school. You've been called on mission to your job. You've been called on mission to your neighborhood. And you've been sit there on purpose. It's not just because you're trying to get a degree. There's something bigger going on and you don't realize it. God has put you there for a reason, to be a minister. He's put you in your neighborhood. He's put you at that job you hate on purpose to change it. To be an ambassador for him. That's what the New Testament calls us, not just the pastors. He calls all of us in here ambassadors for Christ. That means everywhere we go, we are an ambassador for him. That will change the way you live. That, that takes those seemingly insignificant things that you're like, man, I'm bored doing this, I'm bored doing this. If you realize that everything you do, you're on mission, that changes everything. That makes the conversation you had with that person you really don't like that much so much more important, realizing God has you talking to that person for a reason, and it's because you're on mission. We're all ministers in here. I don't, I don't know if you realize that. There's a lie that's got in the church a long time ago, and it's religious, that uh, the pastors, apostles, prophets, and teachers are in the real ministry, and the rest of us that are in the congregation just watch them minister. That's not Bible. That's religious teaching. And that's why, why the church as a whole hasn't changed the world, because they're watching a few people... A few selected people from the pulpits of the nation affect people, but they don't feel like that they have a mission to fulfill. And they don't realize that each one of us are ministers. Each one of us are on mission, not just the people preaching up here. This is only one aspect of it. And it's not our job to just be spectators and watch the pastor and other people change the world, we've been called to be participators in what God's doing. you got to realize what you do for God is just as important as what Pastor Jacobs does. It's just as important. It's a lie that the devil's told you that your part's not important and the only people that are important are the people preaching. That is a lie from the pit of hell. And actually, I would say your part is more important than my part. Because you might be able to reach people that I might never even meet. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. It says, but to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Let's look down to verse 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. Did you hear what I just read? It says that those five minister gifts and the body of Christ, they are to equip all of you, the saints of God, to do the work of the ministry. 
Are you hearing me tonight? So it's not the people that are just standing up here doing the work of the ministry. The people that stand up here are are called to equip all of you to do the work of the ministry. See, I don't think a lot of people realize that. That the only reason you're coming to church is not to do the work of the ministry. The reason you come to church is to get you equipped to do the work of the ministry out there. The work of the ministry is not in these four walls. Are you hearing me? The work of the ministry for all of you is not in these four walls. You come to church to get equipped or empowered to do the work of the ministry out there in the world. Not in here, out there. But a lot of people think that that's the work of the ministry, them just coming to church. No, you come to church to get equipped to do the work of the ministry out there. Why? Because you're a minister. You're supposed to be on mission. You're not supposed to be just, your mission is coming to church and attending. That's not your mission. You come to church so you can get equipped to do the mission out there. You got the wrong perspective. See, a lot of us don't think we're ministers. You're ministers. I got to tell you that tonight. You're ministers. And you're not fulfilling your ministry if you're not doing the work of the ministry out there. You're missing the point. You come to church to be equipped to do the work of the ministry. So it's not a select few that are just, I'm in full-time ministry. But I know, I know you, you know, you're, you're not. So, no, it doesn't work like that. Now, there is people in the body of Christ that listed the five different ministry gifts that might have more responsibility in the body of Christ. But that doesn't make them any more important. That just means they're leaders in the body of Christ. But everybody in the body of Christ is on mission. And everybody in the body of Christ is a minister. Just some have more responsibilities. Second Timothy 2.1. And it says, You therefore, my son, Paul talking to Timothy, a son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now let's look over at Romans 12. Romans 12. Romans 12, and we're going to start at verse 4. It says, For as we have many members in one body, but are all members, do not have the same function. Verse 5, So we being many are one body in Christ and individual members of one another. Verse 6, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Let them use it. If prophecy, let them prophesy. Or in ministry, let them use it ministering. Or teaching in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation. He who gives in liberality. He who leads with diligence. He who shows mercy with cheerfulness. But notice it says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. So my third point is be strong in your grace. Be strong in your grace. Not my grace, in your grace. Be strong in your grace. See, the thing is, we're thinking about this. 
five billion people to reach, that's, a, that's kind of a big deal. How are we going to do it? It's so big. And you know what? These just big rallies and big crusades, yeah, they're helpful, but they're not going to be the, the, the thing that's going to change it. I mean, there is thousands of people that get saved at those events. But what's going to be the solution is the local church. Now, we need those big crusades and those big events, and I believe in them, and I, I like to go to big conferences and crusades and rallies. But just that and by, it, by itself doesn't have enough power to change the world. Because you think at some of those events, there's, there's several thousand people there. You could have those all day, every day, for years and still not reach 5 billion people. So what's going to reach the world is each of us reaching our world. Like I said before, he gives us a perfect plan. He gives us where we need to, do, where we need to go. Number two, like I said, we're all ministers in the region we're sent to. And number three, we need to be strong in the grace that he's given us to reach that region. It's one thing to be sent to a region. It's another thing to know that you're a minister sent to that region and on mission. But number three, he's given all of us in here a grace to reach this region. That means his ability to reach this region. He's given us his special ability to reach this region. Do you realize that there's people called to different cities all around the world and they have been given a grace to reach that city all over the world. There's people that have even been sent to whole countries and they have a grace on their life to reach that country. And I can't reach that country because God didn't give me that grace. I mean, I might, I might be a little bit helpful, but God has given us each a grace to reach our city, an ability. You've got to see it like that. God has given each one of you, and he's given me a supernatural love for this region. You know, when I was younger, probably in high school, you know, I, I, I was slamming southern Indiana like everybody else in high school. You know how it is. They all act like, man, southern Indiana, it's, just, it's, it's horrible. And the weather, you know, as soon as I get out of here, I'm going to go to college way far away from here. And then you see him working at the gas station a couple weeks after uh, they go to college for a couple months somewhere else. And they come back to southern Indiana. But they're always, always, I don't remember how many people were always criticizing southern Indiana when I was in high school. I don't know about you in high school and middle school. Like, as soon as I get out of this place, I'm going to go to Florida or California or somewhere cool. But this area just stinks. But he's given each of us a grace to reach this region. You got to realize this when everyone in here reaches their area of influence that God has given them, then everybody will be reached. It's not just one person doing this. You got to realize this. And it's grace here, it's talking about God has given each one of us in here a gift, a talent, an ability, whatever you want to call it, to reach this region for him. And what it says in Romans is everybody's going to be different. And it's okay to be different. He says everybody's different. If everybody was just like me, the people wouldn't be reached. Because I'm only graced to reach a certain, certain region of people. You're graced to reach a certain area of people. Each of us in here are. So we can't do it by ourselves. 
So each one of you in here has a grace on your life. Some of you don't know what it is yet. There's a gift, there's ability, there's a talent that God's given you to empower you to reach this region and to reach the world and change the world. Some of you know what it is, but a lot of you might not even know what it is yet. But you have a grace. I'm going to say that tonight. You have a grace on your life. I don't know if you realize what it is yet, but you do. There's nobody on this planet that God did not grace with a gift. Nobody can look at God and say, you just left me out. You gave everybody else a gift and ability, and I don't have one. No, God has given everybody something to use for his glory. He's given everybody something to change their region. So you need to be strong in your grace. They're never going to be the same. Don't, don't any of you ever look at me and think that what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing if you're doing what God has graced you to do. Don't ever look at it like that. Don't ever look at a Dr. Dufresne and Pastor Nancy and say, they're really doing what they need to do and they got an awesome grace on their life, but me working here, there's no, no... If God has graced you to be somewhere, you're fulfilling your role just like they're fulfilling their role. You know, some of you, God's going to raise up to be business leaders in this region. You being strong in the grace of business is what God has called you to do. And when you fulfill that, you're, you're doing just as much as what I'm doing up here because God has graced me to do this. And I'm not more important than you and vice versa. That lie has gotten the church that the important people are up here and the people that are out here are less important. That's not true. If God called you to be a doctor, a lawyer, a paleontologist even, a professional deer hunter, Chalesi, if he's graced you to do that, you're doing exactly what God's called you to do. And you know what? In that field or area, you're going to be able to reach people that I might not ever meet. And that's why he put you in that region. You know, Justin at the coffee shop, he put them he, he put him here on purpose for a reason because he's going to run into people on a daily basis that I might ever, not ever meet. And maybe my personality might not click with theirs, but it'll click with Justin's. But him fulfilling the grace of God on his life at the coffee shop is just as important as this. And notice, if he doesn't fulfill the grace of God on his life, that area or region will not be reached. The only way for us to change the world is if everyone in the body of Christ reaches their world, reaches their region, reaches what God has graced them to do in their area of influence. Everybody has a, has a place of influence. You know, Katie doing nursing, that's her area of grace and influence. There's going to be nurses she talks to that I might not ever talk to. But if she doesn't reach them, they might not be reached. There's people Brother Joe and Miss Liz talk to because they do all kinds of nice decorating and painting at super nice houses. A lot nicer than all of ours, like million-dollar houses. And they're going to reach people that, that some of us in here might not ever reach, might not ever talk to. But why? They're graced to do that. And if they don't fulfill their part, are you hearing me tonight? If they don't fulfill their part, we can't all reach the world together. So you got to realize your part is important. Your part is important. you got to realize that in the body of Christ. So many times in the New Testament talks about 
the church being a body, the body of Christ. And notice, it always says, if, if your ear left you or your arm left you, you would have some problems. Why? Because every part of your body is important. Every part is important. Even the toes. Some of you might feel like, I'm just a little toe on the foot. If you don't have one of your toes, it's not cool. You don't have good balance. Why? Because every part of your body is important and it serves a purpose. You got to realize every one of you in here are important and you serve a purpose. And you need to realize that because if you don't fulfill your purpose, the people that God has called you to reach might not be reached. So be strong in the grace that he's given you. One last verse. Jeremiah. My, my. Would you guys get anything tonight? Jeremiah. Let's see here. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32. You know, still when you, uh, when you look at things, it, it's, a big, it's a big job. It's a big responsibility. It's sobering when you think about 5 billion people don't know Jesus. It's sobering when you, when you see this whole region that needs to be affected and changed by Jesus' power. And we got like 50 people here tonight. We say, well, what is this doing? What is this impacting? This is important right here. Because we don't lay a good foundation when all the people start coming. We won't be able to handle it. You got to realize some of you right now are at the core of this and the foundation that this ministry is going to be built upon. When the hundreds, when the thousands of people start coming, they're going to need some people like you to help disciple people, to help minister to people, to help be a pillar in the church. To help be a solid foundation. You know, the Word of God says, don't despise small beginnings. Why? Because they won't be small forever. And you, if you won't treat the small beginnings like they're important, God will never give you anything bigger than that. If you won't take the little things and treat them like they're important or valuable, He'll never give you anything more. What does the Word of God say? If you're faithful in the little... He can trust you to be faithful in much. But if he can't trust you with the little, he'll never give you much. So the job is big. In the, in the Word of God, it says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So the harvest is big. And I know it, it can be like, Jesus, that's, that's a lot of people. But you got to realize that there's so much bigger than just that narrow view of what's really going on in your life. Because I know if you just focus on those those little things like that, you know, you could be depressed, oppressed, and just not be looking forward to your life. But you got to realize there's so much bigger going to happen. There's so much good in your future. There's so much that's that's going on that you don't even realize. And you got to live 
live for something much bigger than your college grade. You got to live for something bigger than just if you get to go to the game next Friday night for homecoming. Hey, I know. I punched a wall in my bathroom at my house and put a hole in it because I couldn't go to homecoming. That's a whole different story. But see, I wasn't right. I was in high school. See, look, I was consumed with the homecoming game. And looking back at it now, I'm like, that was the dumbest thing I ever did. I was so upset that I couldn't go to the homecoming game. Like, my life was over at the age of 17. It was officially over. Just go ahead and take me to the graveyard because my social life is done because I'm not going to homecoming. I went upstairs and I punched a hole in my wall. And then Brother Joe fixed it. So, he did fix it recently. Yes, he had a grace to fix it. Several years after it happened, because now that room is dad's office, so Brother Joe had, had the pleasure of fixing that, that hole I punched in the wall. But look, I was so, I was so narrow-minded just thinking about the next week or the homecoming game. And it's, it, especially when you're a teenager or early 20s, it's easy to get in that rut of you're not even seeing your future. You're not even seeing that life is so much bigger than you just got a bad grade on your test. Life is so much bigger than your boyfriend dumping you. Life is so much bigger, and there's so much better out there for you. But I was thinking about this scripture today. That's why I just wanted to close with it. Was I was thinking about, you know, the things that, that we need to do as a group and the, the, the places our church needs to go and our group needs to go. And sometimes you could almost feel like, whoa, that's almost too much or God you know we got some big plans and some big visions and I went off and spouted off Yum Yum Center about a year ago and it was the Holy Ghost but you know the enemy's going to try to come bring that up to you oh Yum Center you can't even get 50 people on a Thursday night but I got a scripture for all y'all you ready for that scripture okay Jeremiah 32 I want you to read this scripture every time you feel like you can't change your school Every time you feel like you can't change the situation, every time you feel like I can't change my workplace, these people, they don't love God, they hate me, they're so anti-God, you need to read this scripture. When you feel like the people that you've been working on for a long time and you know they're not listening to you, you need to read this scripture. When you feel like something is impossible, when something, I don't feel like I can ever get over this thing, you need to read this scripture. You ready for the scripture? Because God gave me this this afternoon when I was just thinking about the future. And I'm full of faith about the future. I'm excited about the future. I can see where this group is going and our church is going. And the, the harvest ahead of us. And the Yum Center eventually. I can see it. But you know the enemy's going to come and try to get you discouraged before you get there. And God just reminded me of the scripture almost. I could... I, could, I couldn't hear him laughing, but I could, I could picture him laughing up in heaven, giving me the scripture. Because this is what God says to impossible things. This is what God says to things that people say can't happen, won't happen, it won't come to pass, your city won't change, your school won't change, you'll live and die and never see God move in your region. This is what God has to say about that. This is a good introduction to a scripture. Jeremiah 32 and verse 26. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Behold, 
I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. The message said, I'm the God of everything living. You got to remind yourself that he's the Lord and he is the God of all flesh. He's the God of everything. Everything on this earth, everything in the universe, of everything that has ever been created, God is over it all. You know, there's nothing bigger than God. There's nothing more powerful than God. I'm not done with scripture yet. The best part's coming. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Is there too anything hard for me? That's the scripture you need to read when you start thinking those doubtful thoughts. I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? You can see God laughing to himself asking this question. Is there anything too hard for him? The God who is all-powerful, all-knowing, who created everything. Is there anything too hard for God? Absolutely not. But a lot of times we, we act like that with our doubt, with our fear, with our lack of faith. That's saying that God, no, last time it worked, but this situation's too hard for you. This city's too big to be reached for you. You, you can't do that. You could reach a small group. You know, you can heal headaches, but cancer, that's AIDS, that's almost a little. God says, is there anything too hard for me? No. He had to remind Jeremiah because he was giving some big promises to Jeremiah about the nation being restored. And he said, Jeremiah, you don't believe me? Is there anything too hard for me? Last time you, you, you checked, I'm God, you're not. And, and I'm in control over everything and all powerful over everything. And guess what? Is there anything too hard for me? No. So next time doubt or unbelief tries to slip in to say, I can't change the world. I can't be a world changer. I can't reach this city, my school, my job. Is there anything too hard for God? No. You know, in the New Testament, Jesus pretty much says the same thing, but a little differently. He says, with God, nothing is impossible. With just man, it's impossible. If it's just up to us in here in our own strength, in our own natural ability, it's impossible to do all these things that God has called us to do. But with God, all things are possible. With God, all things are possible. you got to realize that with God, all things are possible. There's nothing too hard for God.